This podcast has been brought to you by Wheatberry, the job search site where careers in insurance and financial services begin. Post your job openings for free. Let Wheatberry help you find the talent you need. Wheatberry with an I at Wheatberry.com. Ask anyone about Chris Ingram, and the first thing that they will say is that he is competitive, very competitive. It will also be followed up by his other qualities of leadership, including vision and dedication. For clients at Jettison, a passion for making sure they win always comes first. He views every client through the lens of efficiency and potential, connecting small changes that lead to big results. But fair warning, get ready for hard work. He's the consummate coach. Chris will demand the most of you and won't settle for anything less than your full potential. No matter what you set out to do with Chris, his relentless pursuit of success is infectious and will have you running smarter, smashing goals, and surpassing your competition. Chris started his career in sales, where he quickly became the top producer amongst his peers. His experience was the catalyst for his passion for entrepreneurship. He moved next to the insurance and asset management industry, where in a few short years, he grew his agency to over $2 million in annual sales. After his company's successful sale and his exit as CEO, Chris co-founded Jettison Company to help companies run smarter, faster, better than their competition. If he's not working, then he's probably watching the Nashville Predators with his family or working with Nations of Coaches, which is a nonprofit that teaches college athletes that quality character is better and more long-lasting than wins and losses. Please welcome to our program, Chris Ingram. Good morning, Chris. Uh, How is everything in Nashville this morning? Everything is is great in Nashville. The uh, the uh, the sun is up. Uh, it's uh, about uh, in the mid eighties today, so everything is perfect. You know, Chris, uh, tell me a little bit. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do now. So currently, I am the uh, the president and a co founder for a company called uh, Jettison Inc. Uh, what we specialize in is uh, really all things consulting when it comes to uh, sales, operations, uh, marketing, uh, or a customer experience. We've got a couple of Clearly, the fine niche uh, niches on the operation side, uh, with some solutions we have on the uh, um, payment side, uh, and then on the marketing side, uh, we've got a great social media management program uh, that we provide for people, providing uh, you know quality content for customers uh, to, to to get out there and distribute uh, their message all across social media platforms. Well, that's interesting, and I'd like to to know more about that. But before we get into that, I'd like to learn a little more about you as a person and where you're from. Uh, tell us about uh, where did you grow up. I was born uh, in Louisville, Texas, but at a very, very young age, uh, due to my father's job, uh, that moved us up to the Pacific Northwest, up to Spokane, Washington. And so, from the age of uh, five to nineteen, uh, that's where uh, that's where I live. So that that to me is home, Spokane, Washington. And what uh, what took your parents to that part of the country? Were they just looking for a fresh start? No, my dad. Uh, my dad was employed uh, by a fluorescent lighting manufacturer. He was always involved in the marketing side of business, uh, and he got a great opportunity, a great promotion uh, within that company uh, to to uh, to move us up to Spokane. So we took that position, uh, and then he just continued to work his way up the ladder there. He actually eventually ended up being the uh, the president of the of the entire company uh, located up there in Spokane. They had uh, operations in uh, Spokane, Pennsylvania, uh, South Carolina, uh, and uh, uh, and he worked his way all the way up to president. Uh, and so that's. Uh, uh, that's what got us there. 
know, it's uh, Spokane is, uh, oh, of course, a, a great uh, Western city uh, did, and a lot of outdoors activity. Did you find you, were you kind of an outdoors kid or were you more of an indoors kid? wasn't. Uh, all of my friends uh, hunted and fished. I've got a brother-in-law who's a big hunter and fisherman, and uh, uh, you know my nephews are. But for whatever reason, um, my dad, uh, and so I, you know, he never was into that stuff, and then I never was either. So here I was in the middle of this beautiful, you know, mountainous, great, you know, the mecca of all uh, hunting up there, and that's that's really something I never participated in. So I, I read a little bit about your bio that uh, that you were uh, an aspiring uh, singer songwriter. Uh, you apparently found uh, music uh, really worked for you early on. Tell us about uh, how you got into that. I'd grown up, uh, you know, singing in church. My my dad in church was the song leader. Uh, not to say that we were, uh, you know, good, talented musicians by any means, uh, but I'd grown up, you know, being around music loosely and always enjoyed it. Uh, and I remember I was probably in the um, maybe the fifth or sixth grade uh, when I went to my first concert. I'll never forget. It was uh, it was the country group Alabama, uh, and this was before you know Lone Star and Kenny Chesney made it big. So they were the opening acts. Uh, and I remember watching that concert, and I had no idea uh, that you could make a living uh, by entertaining people. And I just was uh, I was riveted by that. And uh, uh, and God's honest truth, uh, the next day I started taking guitar lessons, learned how to play guitar. Had a tremendous guitar teacher up there in Spokane that told me if I kept playing other people's songs, I'd stay in Spokane. But if I'd start writing songs, then I might be able to go somewhere. So um, started writing uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it just kind of developed from there. By the time I was in high school, I had uh, uh, written a complete 10-song album. We produced it, recorded it, um, actually got some uh, local radio airplay at the, the station KDRK and then um, started, you know, playing live shows. And that's what I did uh, really all through high school. Well, tell us about your first gig where you actually got paid cash money uh, to go and sing. So I, uh, I remember it well. It was uh, the Two Rivers Casino. I believe it was a Fourth of July benefit, uh, and I, I'll never forget this. Uh, they, um, uh, I had played a few other places, basically just kind of maybe breaking even, or maybe they might give me a free dinner or something like that. And I remember Two Rivers actually reached out to me to ask me if I would come play this event because I was starting to make a little bit of a name for myself, you know, just there locally. Uh, and I gladly accepted. And I remember they asked me how much I would charge to do that, and I gave them a price. And it was after the event was finally over, I got to thinking, wow, I probably could have asked for a lot more. So I think we played uh, uh, our first paid gig. I think all of us, me and my bandmates, probably made uh, you know 75 bucks a piece or something like that. Hindsight 2020, I probably could have got them for a lot more. But it, it did feel good getting a check for playing music. Yeah. Now, what uh, did you just sing, or did you play the guitar, or what instruments did you play? I played guitar and I sang, and then obviously um, the most fun part to me was the was the songwriting piece of it. So, was your thinking uh, to then pursue a career in music uh, as opposed to to going to college? Is, is that kind of the I, career choice that you you found yourself at? Yeah, that's where the story got interesting. So I was, uh, I had an academic scholarship to the University of Texas at Arlington. Um, being born in Texas, my whole family's from the South. I always wanted to get back to the South. Um, uh, back then, about the age of 18, 19 years old, I had a sister who had relocated back to Texas. So I, I was lined up, ready to go a couple weeks out. Um, I'd already talked to my roommate on the phone, uh, and I uh, was supposed to go to UTA, they called it. And I remember maybe two, three weeks before I was supposed to leave, I, uh, I sat my dad down, who, you know, keep in mind, my, my 
my dad did everything the right way. Went to school, went to college, worked his way up. Uh, and I had to tell my dad that uh, I'm not going to college, Dad. I'm going to go to Nashville and, and try this music thing out. Uh, which, you know, in full disclosure, was, was not the most comfortable of conversations. I don't know that it made my dad very happy. But, you know, once the decision was made, they were, they were nothing but supportive. So did you uh, pack your things in the car or the truck and uh, head down the highway through Idaho and make your way to Nashville? That's exactly what I did. I At the time, I had a 94 Toyota pickup with a canopy, and I shoved everything I had into the back of that. Uh, and my mom drove down there with me, but we set out, you know, driving through Idaho, through Wyoming, Montana, uh, going through Kansas, uh, and, uh, and arrived in Nashville. So when you, you pull through city limits, and uh, what's the first step you take if you were moving to Nashville trying to get a start in the music business? Where do you start? question. I had, uh, at this time, I'm 19 years old. I, I actually had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, I knew one person in the entire state of Tennessee uh, when I moved down here, and that was a person who had heard my initial album and had shown some interest that, you know, maybe there may be some talent there, potentially. So I knew him, uh, and I just moved down here. Um, he introduced me to a few people, uh, you know, over the, the next year or so, my first year down here, I, uh, you know, started to network a little bit, started to book some writing appointments, uh, met some really interesting people, got to play some really interesting gigs, and it just kind of, um, just through being around town, kind of organically, you know, kind of grew into uh, some, some opportunities. So when I was reading a little bit about you, uh, I, I noticed uh, you had mentioned that you had had a, a meeting or a fateful day with Capitol Records. Uh, tell us what happened. Yeah, well, we made two uh, intentional uh, – when I say we, it was obviously me and then some other folks that I teamed up with that, that could help me that knew the business really well. They were older than me, you know, good mentors. Uh, we made two really intentional runs to get a record deal. The first one uh, we made with a group – you know, I was, I was probably – 20 years old at the time, uh, and it got a little bit of interest. We played a showcase. We had every label in town that was at the showcase. We played at Douglas Corner there uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and then, you know, we, we finished the showcase. We reached back out, and obviously nobody was ready to pull the trigger on us at that point. So we cooled our jets for about a year and a half. Got involved with a couple of other people, really tried to strengthen up the songs and uh and put together a nice four song set uh that was that was pretty good uh, uh you know looking back uh, and we started to shop that to see if that might get us a deal this time so uh we took it to a few places, had a little bit of interest and then uh, i'll I'll never forget we we got a we got a meeting with um uh, capitol records uh with at that time the head of capitol records mike dungan and we um uh, went up to his office and it was myself and a guitar player and a bass player and uh, we had a four song set just us in his office playing for him we finished the first two songs and he stopped me and he left his office and he went and got the entire staff of Capitol Records uh, brought them all into his office and told me to play again uh, and I did we played the four song set uh, and of course you know at that point there's there's some excitement in the air they elected at that point to to not proceed with any kind of offer, and so it was kind of at that moment I started to to see if I could plug you know what I enjoyed and uh, what I enjoyed into maybe some other type of career opportunity. So you found your yourself kind of uh, stopped in your tracks. Uh, uh, what direction did you go at that point? Well, in brutal 
honesty, at this point, I'm 22 years old or something like that. And I've, I've got to make a living. Uh, so I, uh, uh, at that point, I, I knew a, I knew a person who knew this guy that owned this ballroom dance studio. Uh, and this owner of this studio, uh, we had kind of hit it off as friends. We played golf together a few times, and he actually uh, told me to come work for him. Now, you know, obviously, uh, ballroom dancing was nothing that I saw in my future, but it did uh, appeal to a couple of things. You know, number one, it was um, uh, it was uh, uh, athletic, which I, I grew up playing some sports, so I enjoyed that. Number two, there was an entertainment component to it, which, you know, from the, the music industry, what I learned about myself, is, I, and I don't know that I ever had what it took to be a great musician, uh, but I do know that I really enjoyed entertaining, and so it, it kind of met both those appetites, and so uh, I basically started teaching uh, uh, ballroom dance lessons, um, and, uh, and that's where I met my wife. We, we began to compete professionally, and uh, that was uh, kind of the next chapter. Well, that's neat. That's neat. So then, uh, how did you, I know, you, you know, of course, most of our listening audience uh, are is in the insurance and financial services right. business. How did you then uh, find the opportunity to be in the insurance business come along? You know, in the ballroom dance industry, you know, people think of that as an art, and it is. But to make money in the business, it's like anything else. You've, you've got to figure out how to monetize it. And so, uh, what, what I was doing in the ballroom dance industry is, is, is to earn a living. You would have to design these packages of dance lessons and sell them to clients. So I was having to do my own prospecting for students, uh, and then I was having to design packages and sell them. Uh, and so, after a couple of years of doing that. You know, I'm essentially, you know, making a little bit of commission on my sales and then charging, you know, an hourly rate for teaching the lessons. Uh, and I was the number one salesperson in that particular studio. So I got to thinking, wow, there's, I think I know how to sell. Uh, there's got to be another opportunity where I can really build something serious, you know, leveraging my sales skills, something that could be longer lasting. Uh, and, uh, and that's how I stumbled into insurance. The, the thing that was most intriguing to me, uh, about insurance is obviously the, the residual income. Um, you know, I, and so when, when I was uh, talking to the people about about what to do, uh, and I was learning about how residual income worked, that completely resonated with me because you know previously, every month for me, you know, I was starting over. Where you know in the insurance business, I was learning that yeah, you, whatever you do this year, you know, you're getting paid again next year. So that was very appealing to me. The other piece of it was uh with the particular company that I chose to go to work with farmers insurance uh, you get to own, you own the agency so it was uh, I, I learned early on about myself i i'm not very good with with superiors um i don't know if that's a, a quality or a uh, or a bad thing uh but the, the entrepreneurial side the fact that i got to own it the fact that everything i did this year you know i was building something for the future uh that's why i selected the insurance business to pursue so it's uh did you actually go out uh, read about or look at the insurance business and and go find them or did they find you me. So I, uh, I posted my resume uh, and I, I put, I treated my ballroom dancing background like a sales job. I mean, I put my, you know, sales metrics on that resume uh, and that was what tipped off a farmer's insurance recruiter. I had never considered the insurance business before, but they reached out to me. And at that point, you know, I said, what could it hurt? So I took the first interview um, and it was after that first conversation where I kind of learned surface level what the opportunity looked like. Uh, then I went in and really dug in and did my research and talked to other people in the business and uh, just became more and more impressed with the opportunity. So once you uh, went through the training, got your licenses, uh, who did you call on first? Where did you start? 
Well, uh, you know, I, I built a pretty uh, a pretty good-sized student body in the ballroom dancing world, and, and luckily most of them liked me. Uh, and so I, I reached out to a lot of them, uh, a lot of friends and family. Uh, and then it was just uh, kind of the same way I started the music business. It was just networking. You know, I, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, you, you need the help of other people to get where you want to go. And uh, and so I would just network like crazy, whether it was on the golf course or uh, at an event that I could attend, or uh, you know, reaching out to other people I'd met through other businesses, uh, you know, where where they had some influence over over other people that could get me in front of a large group of folks. Uh, really, I just I hustled in any way I could uh, to to start to get some traction with the new business. So as you developed your business, uh, did it, was it more of a personal lines agency, uh, homes and autos, or was it a commercial lines business? Uh, you know, what was the basic uh, characteristics of the agency once you built it to full strength? part of the agency. So we started off, you know, with a very limited product portfolio. Um, not that we didn't have access to more. I just kind of had to go with what I was comfortable with. So we were doing auto, home, umbrella. Um, and we were having good success. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, we uh, after the first two or three years, we were having tremendous success with, with selling those products. Uh, about the fourth year is where I decided to really pursue the financial service opportunity. Uh, and so in the course of a couple of years, we were able to turn that into another really, really nice revenue stream uh, and got heavily involved in some permanent life insurance products as well. So uh, by the end of that run where I owned my agency, which I had for about five and a half years, um, you know, we were about 3,000 uh, personal lines policies in force. Um, I think we had about $6 million of assets under management uh, and then doing some good life insurance production, too. So it kind of started from, you know, you know, kind of a basic level, and it, we really grew into uh, really maximizing the opportunity. Now you had, uh, since uh, you've sold that agency, and then you made the I decision did, yep. to transition into becoming a, a district manager yourself, what was your thinking, and uh, what was your career path with that, uh, with that direction? You know, believe it or not, a lot of people have called me crazy for that. But I'll tell you, in, in, in pure sincerity, I was a guy that was wired, I think, to be successful. I just I had to find the right opportunity. And for me, the, the Farmers Insurance Agency opportunity was, was an absolute life changer. I mean, I was able to... You know, not to be so materialistic, but, you know, I went from living paycheck to paycheck to being able to, you know, build nice houses and my wife drives a nice car and, you know, we have kids and, uh, you know, uh, play golf at the country club. I mean, that, that, the, the, the insurance agency opportunity just was completely a life changer and it was really exactly what I needed to thrive. Uh, and so I, I think it, it was a really cool idea to me to be able to do that for other people. Because I think there's a lot of people that are super talented. There's just some, sometimes there's restraints on their current opportunities where, you know, in the insurance business, there, there really is no ceiling. You know, you can build and scale as, as high as you want to. And so that's what was intriguing to me. And that's why I jumped on board to uh, the district manager position. So it's, uh, uh, Krista, tell me, what do you think is uh, uh, the great thing about the insurance business today for someone who may be considering it as a career? That's a, that's a great question, and obviously I'm an advocate that it's the greatest uh, career to choose. But the reason I think that is because it, it puts you in control. Um, 
and I don't just mean you know in in control financially. I don't just mean you know in control of uh, your destiny, but it, it puts you in control of your time. Um, anybody who is wired that has a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit, it's a great industry for uh, because you you literally can decide how much money you want to make, and that that's kind of oversimplifying it, but. But if there's a, uh, an income goal that you want to reach in our business, you alone have the ability to go pursue that. Uh, but the other great thing, is, too, is you, you've got all the freedom that you want. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends that it is 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every single day. Uh, and if we meet for lunch, they've got 45 minutes and they've got to be back. Whereas when you're in an insurance type of opportunity, um, you know, you have to work hard uh, and you've got to work a lot. Uh, but, you know, if you've got a buddy in from college and you want to take a two-hour lunch, great. If you want to cut out at 2 o'clock on a Thursday to go coach your son's Little League team, you know, you've got the freedom and the autonomy uh, to do that. To me, that's what makes the business so amazing is the income is uncapped uh, and you get to do what so few people get to do. You get to own your time, which, which I think is the most valuable thing that's out there. And when you uh, survey uh, the agents that are within uh, your jurisdiction, uh, what are some of the more common characteristics those individuals have that propel them forward that you think contributes to their success? That is a really good question. Um, I, I'd say the most common trait uh, of, of the ones that are, are the, the ones that are successful and the ones that we specifically look for um, is there's there's an inner drive uh, just to get to the next level. Uh, there's an ambition there. Uh, they're goal oriented. Um, that, that's that's kind of a common thread uh, that makes people uh, work out really really well in this business. Um, the, the, the people that, that maybe like to like to get um, not necessarily orders, but that like a lot of direction and like a more structured type of environment, uh, you know, maybe that that doesn't work necessarily in, in, in what we're doing. Uh, but but what I see that the people that are self motivated uh, and, and they're hungry and they want to get out there and be successful and they're working towards the next thing, uh, this this industry lends itself to to, to to do really well for them. So Chris, I know you're uh, in terms of a, as a district manager, recruit, you're recruiting people to put them into business for themselves. And of course, uh, even in, once they're in business for themselves, they're calling on business owners. Uh, I know you also do business uh, coaching and, uh, and uh, advice uh, and seminar type work. Tell us a little bit about our listeners, a little bit about what you do as far as helping uh, small business owners grow their own business. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I find that a lot of people, uh, and, and really what the insurance business taught me is that, yeah, you know, selling is important and marketing is important, but it's a whole different skill and an additional skill to be able to really run a business. I mean, you have to understand, you know, me personally, I'm not really a numbers guy. I'm more of a driver, just bang your head against the wall, get it done. Uh, but that that doesn't work if you're going to own a successful business. And so I've had to learn how to be a business owner, how to have intelligent conversations about a P&L, you know, how to calculate ROIs, how to keep staff motivated, all those other skills. Uh, and I find that most business owners, especially small business owners, a lot of them have like two-thirds of what it takes. You know, maybe they've got passion, maybe they've got desire, maybe they've got drive, but they lack this piece over here. And so I love doing the coaching piece just to come in and, and round off the organization to make sure they've got all the tools they need to, to thrive. Uh, and again, I, I started doing it just in the insurance industry specific, and over the last few years, it's really blossomed uh, to where, you know, our consulting is really industry agnostic, where we're able to, to coach anybody up and uh, and get them moving in, in, the, in the best direction possible. 
I noticed on your your website uh, uh, of uh, of uh, ingiwin that uh, that you offer a, a, a say a sales and marketing seminar for small business. What's that all about? I see a lot of deficiencies in businesses where, where nobody teaches the sales process anymore. Uh, especially the bigger the corporation, there's, there's usually like an initial wave of training and then it's gone. Uh, well, in my opinion, you know, sales is, is an art. It's a language. It's, it's an intentional process, uh, that you are exhibiting. Uh, and that's what our sales consists of. We talk about, uh, not only the sales process, but we talk about, uh, you know, some attitudes that you should have towards the prospect, and then we couple that uh, with a service aspect, which is really the best way to sell, proactive, high-quality, surprise service, and we put all that together to build uh, this sales, uh, intentional sales process. Now, on the marketing side, I like to take uh, marketing and just simplify it, right? Because marketing essentially is five more people need to know about your product and why they need it than knew that yesterday. That's all really marketing is. And so we, we try to strip away all the glamour and all the hyperbole that comes with marketing sometimes and just say, what are you doing right now uh, to make sure you're generating more opportunities? And we take them through that systematic training as well. For a, for a new business owner who's just starting in their business, what's one of the biggest issues or obstacles they face to, to getting uh, their business moving in the right direction? Is it internal or is it external or... You know, uh, you know what is it? I'm going to tell you every business. Every business only has to do two things. And again, I I'm a little bit binary in my thinking, and so if it does sound like I oversimplify some things, I really do believe it's that simple. Uh, every business needs a bunch of opportunities, and when they get the opportunities, they need to sell stuff to those opportunities. And so the the main reason businesses fail is number one, they don't have enough opportunities, which would say their marketing is ineffective or not as effective as it could be. Or B, maybe they have a tremendous amount of opportunities, but they're not making sales out of the opportunities, and it's a communication problem or a sales problem. Uh, and so those are the two hurdles uh, that that, uh, that really every company, every business uh, is going to have, and that's, that's what we address. So if you were, uh, say, going to sit down this afternoon and visit with uh one of your agents uh, that are out in the business that is struggling, what's some of the questions that you would ask them uh, in order to assess uh, uh, where they're at and where they need to be uh, be moving or where they need to be going? Well, so our, uh, you know, my, my, the way I would manage uh, a business or an agency uh, is it's all based on accountability. Uh, and so what we'll do very beginning, before we even talk about what to do, coach them up anything, I am going to force the person to set the goals they want to achieve. Now, sometimes it's a freedom goal. Sometimes it's a long-term goal. Sometimes it's an income goal. That's irrelevant. Uh, but we're going to establish a goal. And then after we have a goal established, I will reverse engineer the activity required to achieve that goal. So we'll look at closing ratios and uh, market volume and, 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 and on opportunity and all of that to reverse engineer the plan. And then it just becomes a matter of staying accountable to the plan. Uh, and that's, that's how we manage every business, every agency. Yeah, yeah. Where do you see your business uh, going in the next few years and, and what, uh, what are you excited about? Well, 
you know, Jettison Inc. is, is really exciting uh, because I'm able to uh, communicate. Uh, you know, I, I've been able to parlay everything I've learned in the insurance industry, which taught me how to sell, how to market, you know, how to operate smoothly, how to handle customers, uh, how to be an entrepreneur. And now I've been able to scale that into other industries, you know, outside. And so, you know, what, what Jettison Inc. does, again, it's, it's really industry agnostic. Uh, we, we can just communicate with any type of industry uh, with what we know to be true about how to grow, how to scale a business. So that's that's where the business is going. Uh, what's what's uh, really fun uh, in that business is is I've I've found a nice niche in, in where we're managing some company social media for them, uh, just because that is the next wave. You know, you've got you, you've got all the eyeballs leaving television, going to social media, and a lot of your big companies realize that. Your you know your your Budweisers, for instance, uh, you, you know, your large corporations, uh, but the small mid sized business they're a little bit late to react there. So uh, we're coming in with programs now to where we're you know we're shooting. Uh, essentially television commercials or uh, video blog content and then using social media as our distribution uh, and that's a that's a really cool niche that we've developed within Jettison to help a lot of small businesses out so that's that's where the business is going uh, the consulting and the social media development piece that's what will scale that's what will grow and grow for for uh, the company what i'm excited about uh, is uh, not to be too um, self-promoting, but I have my first uh, book that'll be coming out in a, in a couple of months. It's called uh, It's called Choose to Win, uh, and it's uh, it's my first published book. Uh, and then we're just kind of wrapping up the the final details here, designing the cover, all that good stuff. Uh, but I'm super excited to be be done with that, tie a ribbon around it, uh, and see how it's received. Well, that sounds exciting, uh, and it's uh, for our guests. In case you came in a little bit late, is uh, this is Chris uh, Ingram, uh, who is the CEO and owner of Jettison, uh, the company Jettison, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, you can find his uh, website to, or his website address on uh, on the insuranceradio.com uh, site. And uh, Chris, I just want you to know, thank you for being on the program. It's been really interesting to hear your story and uh, hear what you're doing. Well, I thank you for having me. I uh, I uh, certainly enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully, uh, some folks have some fun listening to it. Oh, hi, you're still here. Say, if you are interested in reaching thousands of licensed insurance producers across the country, why not consider sponsoring a guest podcast? If you had sponsored this episode, we would be telling thousands of listeners daily about you and your company. Find our contact information to request prices and availability at insuranceradio.com.